All right, time for our season awards through now, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and before we get started, though, I want to remind you about the NBA cast. We're doing it for, what time is that on, on Sunday, Lakers, Clippers? I believe, I believe it's 12.30 Pacific, 3.30 Eastern. Excellent. Yeah, that, that'll be really fun. You can uh, follow us on YouTube, Twitch, uh, or Periscope. Uh, had a great game last night uh, as we're recording this during the day for Pels and Mavs. Anything else we need to talk about? I guess uh, Hollinger Dunk, if you haven't listened to it yet, Coach Rankings, definitely uh, one of our most fun pods. Um, anything that you wanted to tell people about before we get started? Yeah, shortly before we recorded this, I did uh, Real Jam Radio with Seth Partnow, and we went through Zion, the Mavericks, uh, the Eastern Conference playoff picture a little bit, and then some other thoughts, center defense, and everything else. It was a, a fun conversation about an hour long. You can listen to that whenever. All right, well, let us begin here with our awards. Y'all know the drill by now. We do all the official awards. We do some unofficial awards uh, that we made up as well. This would be a nice long one here. This isn't going to take as long, though. The MVP, number one, Giannis Antetokounmpo, there really isn't an argument against it at this point to me. There isn't. I mean, Giannis is not the best or most important offensive player in the league so far this year, but he is among the best and most important defensive players. And so depending on how you want to structure this, either he is the best defender of the really good offensive players, or he is the best offensive player of the really good defenders, the centerpiece, the linchpin of the league's best team by by a significant margin, the Milwaukee Bucks. So yeah, I, I have him and then I have a gap before everybody else. Yeah, and I'm not sure that he isn't the best defensive or offensive player in the league. I am i don't believe that he is, but I think he at least has an argument. I mean, he's got the best scoring rate in the league. He's not quite as efficient as some others. I mean, if he just, I'll tell you what, if he just made his free throws, he might be the best offensive player in the league. That's, that's a big part of why his efficiency is down a little bit this year. Uh, so yeah, all of the advanced metrics basically have him as number one. His personal net rating is crazy it's like 16 he's also about 10 points per 100 better the bucks are when he's on the floor than when he's off so i i really just and, and they're having an all-time great season so it's just don't overthink it it's him yep no no real arguments here but then it becomes more challenging once you get p once you get past Giannis. what would i'll let you go first what was your thought process and where did that process lead you yeah I ultimately ended up with LeBron, despite the fact that I still have some concerns about him, his individual offense in the playoffs. But considering what he's doing defensively, he's probably had the second best defensive season of the other real contenders, which I would say, you know, Harden to me with Luka having missed some more time now. It's really between LeBron and Harden for uh, the second spot. Harden was my number three. Um, Harden really had about a month where he kind of struggled. They have gone over now to giving Russell Westbrook a lot more reps. He also, I mean, when you consider the style that Houston plays offensively, he's got a much easier job doing things offensively, at least in the last month or so. I mean, when, when he had Westbrook and Capella out there, maybe it was that was less the case. Uh, but Westbrook playing better now and that them going to this five-out system over the last month or so. Um, you know, I and teams haven't been double-teaming him as much now with Westbrook's surge. I do think that that was something that probably needed to be considered when teams are just double teaming him at half court. But uh, be, it, it's clear that they were, I think, more doing that because they felt that was an opportunity with some of Houston's other personnel on the floor necessarily than that. You know, it was hard and just necessity that. I mean, he's obviously been awesome, uh, but 
I can't say that he's quite changing the scheme as much now. Uh, whether it's fair to say that, well, because the rest of the team is better now, he's not doing that. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, LeBron to me it has been a lot better than him defensively and. I also think too that if you put LeBron on Houston and Harden on the Lakers, I don't think Houston gets worse. I think the Lakers would definitely get worse in that circumstance. Houston might actually even be a little bit better. So that's something I thought about it as well. Just LeBron a little bit more portable. Harden still has these issues where, yeah, they've built this system around him now defensively where they're switching everything, but he can't really be in a non-switching system. So ultimately uh, i went with lebron but it was a, a very very close one and that is going to come down to the wire for me i think when we do our final awards i could what, see it. what were your thoughts i, uh, I know so, i rambled there for a while so so for me i thought that the offensive case for harden and lebron was actually pretty similar they each have the offenses are as of march 1st were actually pretty similar in terms of overall strength when both lebron and harden run the floor they each have huge roles in the offense they each have large on-off differentials and and, you know, you could make, make an argument depending on if you value scoring or, or assisting or, or different different elements of it you could go. But for me, when that argument was fairly close, then the defensive margin between the two is significant. And so that made LeBron, I think it was a little clearer for me. And I'm not saying it's going to be that way by mid-April. By mid-April, if, if Harden now plays LeBron the rest of the way, it could, it could easily get tighter and I could see Harden finishing second. But that... The, the defensive margin, I mean, the Lakers have been, not only have the Lakers been a better defensive team than the Rockets, but LeBron has been an important positive there. And so it's not just him being a, benefiting from a tailwind or something like that. No, he's been an important part of, of their success after deserving criticism on that front last year. I thought that his effort was was worse and that was contributing to the Lakers struggles absent his injury, which were of course there. And as you said, the margin between Harden and LeBron and everyone else expanded partially due to injury. I mean, I still think the argument for Luka is one of the best offensive players of the league is still there, but when he's hundreds of minutes behind those guys. So right now, Luka is about 500 minutes behind Harden and about 400 minutes behind LeBron James. That value, being on the floor is value. You know, those, those are minutes that you don't have to fill with somebody else, and especially considering how important all three of those gentlemen are for their, for their teams, that made sense. And then my fifth was Damian Lillard. This part of it is, you know, we didn't incorporate, we didn't do awards at the end of January when I thought Lillard was the deserving Western Conference Player of the Month. Not that I care about Player of the Month stuff very much, but he's been just such a massive offensive player. And while the Trailblazers' defensive struggles have been an important part of their undoing this year, and Lillard is not great on that end, I think of the offensive part of this as being more important. So I had him fifth. There are a lot of other players worth worth discussing, including Kawhi and AD, but I ended up going Lillard fifth. Yeah, I went with Kawhi. I think he's just better than Lillard. It's pretty clear. And yeah, he's, he's played even with uh, Lillard's recent missed time. I and mean, he was on pace to be leading the NBA in minutes before that groin issue. And he finally returned it yesterday. But uh, so he's still got about 500 minutes more than Leonard. But I think especially now with the Clippers taking off, Leonard has really boosted his defense over the last month and a half or so and I think the Clippers are really rounding into form as well and so I would expect Kawhi to continue to bolster his own case here a little bit he's only played about a hundred minutes less than Luka at this point in time too so uh Kawhi was my pick over Lillard certainly defensible for Lillard you can even argue that Lillard has provided a little bit more value this year but I think Kawhi has just been overall a better player um okay let's uh take 
now we have to take a break here let's let's do one more first uh first team all nba and uh, i think four of the slots are very obvious Top James Harden. Yep. What did you say? Top yeah. four in MVP. Yeah. Yeah. Harden and Doncic at guards. James and Anacumpo at Ford. Who did you have as your first team NBA center? And let's let's just take this opportunity to go through all of the centers. I did not count Anthony Davis as a center. He's playing a lot with a traditional five. And also, I thought that the centers were having good enough seasons that I didn't want to shortchange them by putting a part-timer in the, in their slot. Though that, and that also made some of the forward decisions easier. Uh, so I went with Joel Embiid. I think that this will come up in a feature category, but I think that Embiid's defense this year has been important. And while he's not a perfect offensive player, the overall contribution there is higher for me. And remember that all NBA, as I see it, is more about quality rather than quantity. So Embiid's missed time, including right now, doesn't count against him nearly as much as it would for something like MVP. So I'm going to go with someone who actually was not even on my list. Remember, we did last did this at the beginning of January. He didn't even make one of my three All-NBA teams, and that's Nikola Jokic. He He's has my been, second team. He has been absolutely on fire the last month and a half or so. Uh, he is 70% true shooting in the month of February. Uh, admittedly, somewhat of a truncated month. And we've seen now Carl Anthony Towns. He was my third teamer in January. He basically uh, hasn't played since then. He's played like, what, five, ten games, something like that. Uh, he's really dropped off. Embiid is at 700 minutes, essentially, fewer than Jokic right now. And I think you can even argue that Jokic has been better on a per-play basis than Embiid. And yeah, when you can. can at least when you at least can make that argument and also you know Embiid he just he kind of always misses time and the Sixers overall team performance has really been falling off they've had some drama there as well and so I think Jokic overall to me uh just takes it I still think Joel Embiid if you want to say who would you want for a playoff series if they're both healthy I would go with Joel Embiid there I think Embiid at his peak is the better player but uh Jokic to me uh, has really come on I still do have concerns about his defense about his necessitating their aggressive pick and roll scheme that can really open up the three-point line I have concerns about his room protection you know I don't think he's a bad defender but he's not I, I don't think he's a huge plus either the way someone like Embiid is but Embiid I think is having a, a bit of a down season defensively particularly if you look at some of the, his rim protection numbers it hasn't been as good so I went with number one Jokic you had Jokic on your second team um you had Embiid first team I actually had Rudy Gobert on my second team and Embiid third team uh with actually a, a number of guys having really nice seasons that we probably need to talk about even potentially in contention for third team but uh Rudy Gobert again just the number of minutes that he's played over Embiid I think a lot of the Jazz's defensive issues are not his fault if you look at the advanced metrics they're about as good as ever as room protection numbers still solid you could argue maybe he's slipped slightly defensively but he's also been really good offensively and I think if you look at both the advanced metrics and the larger number of minutes that Gobert has played I, I felt comfortable putting him over Embiid again noting that I think Embiid is the better player by a, a significant margin I ended up going Embiid, Jokic, Gobert, but they're they're all close. And you value minutes played more than I do for all NBA. So if if I had if I had yeah. your rubric, then I probably would have it in your order. But I don't. Yeah, I mean, I I don't. If it's you know, I, I, I mean, it's kind of subjective to me. Of just like, especially if 
it's like okay a guy is missing like chunks of games right like i think Kawhi's 1600 minutes to me are could be more impactful than another 1600 minutes where the guy just missed three weeks or uh, you know Kawhi is only playing 31 minutes a game and some other guys playing 36 minutes a game but then he misses a bunch of games completely so uh and Embiid is really you know he's missed a, a lot of chunks of time and I think that's uh, the major issue for him. And, and I also kind of have noted that he still is, is done really have a return date either. You know, I think that might have played into my thinking a little bit. So I, you know, I, I like to go with the better player when it's even close to equal. But I think this is just such a difference at this point in time with Gobert. I mean, they, they've played... You know, we're not talking about like 60 games versus 80 games at the end of the year or 65 games versus 80 games. We're talking about, you know, a really, really large difference. Like they've played, he's played 50%, they've played 50% more minutes than Embiid. I mean, that is a massive amount. For me, that's that that gets incorporated in MVP and everything else. For me, the idea of all NBA is who are the best players in the league and if they're the only time that it matters for me is if if i think that the same that it's a small enough that we can't be sure how like how good they were something like that but this yeah. you know but Embiid crosses that threshold well, well here my thinking is just that Embiid is in danger of playing so little that it's just completely disqualifying for yeah him. that availability I mean, and you can make the argument i mean i'm i'm acknowledging that there are limitations to my approach like that availability is a skill and 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 that it is less value for the team it's just that's that's the way i see it because it's it's important to me let's go to the let's yeah go to the I, I mean it's tough it's tough too if you're i mean has he i don't think he's even played how many minutes have uh, the sixers played overall this year i mean has he even been on the floor for 50 percent of the team's minutes i mean that's when you haven't been on the floor for 50 percent of your team season i mean that's that's gets really tough um all right we argued about that enough um but I, I did think that we, I wanted to discuss some of these other centers who maybe you know aren't getting as much pub as kind of the big. I think of them as the big four, really: Gobert, Embiid, Jokic, and Towns. Some guys who are coming up behind. I mean, Brook Lopez. Mm-hmm. If he were just shooting the ball a little bit better, I think he actually would be in this mix. I mean, he has been so good defensively. He's been posting up more this year. He's been doing a little bit more as a driver, slightly more as a as a passer. But I mean, he is just impossible to score on at the rim. If you're if you're gonna tell me, okay, there's one guy defensively who's in position and you know he's there and you gotta go score at it over him at the rim, it's probably between him and Porzingis of just who would be the most impossible to score over at the rim. He is just so massive. Uh, and Porzingis is the other one. I I Again, if he were just shooting it a little bit better, I think he would be in this mix for me. Yeah, and he's had some some really nice rim protecting moments as well. Um, I, yeah. I, I I still have qualms about his defensive rebounding, though that has been better this year. Yeah, than, that's than uh, yeah. I mean, it's still it's still bad. It's still but, bad, but yeah. it's less bad, and that that is an important improvement. So the forward line for me, the second team was actually well. well here, let's uh, let, let's take, take a break, break here. This is a good time to do this, and then we can do the the forwards and guard. Sure. Okay, so do you want to? Let's just. Uh, I, I mean, second team forward to me was pretty easy. Yep. I felt. I mean, I think that's, we both had AD we both, and Kawhi. We both had we both had AD as a forward. He is he and Kawhi are the the next two here. You had Kawhi fifth and MVP. I had him sixth, but behind a guard, so that's not a big deal. Um, I thought Lillard as uh, well, well. All right, should we just finish out the forwards? Let's first? do the Let's forwards. I think yeah. it's easier kind of narratively to to do that thread. Then I ran into a, just an absolute buzzsaw trying to figure out these last oh, yeah. couple spots. I mean, I'll go through some so, of the so, candidates. Yeah, yeah. Who's your universe here? Chris Middleton, Jason Tatum. Him, Jimmy Butler, Paul George, if we're counting him as a three, Pascal Siakam. You know, all of those guys to me have very strong cases. Not strong cases to be on the second team, but strong cases over each other to get those last yeah. two spots. Yeah, well, because we're only talking about third team now at this 
Exactly. Like, so. Yeah, I mean, you could even throw Brandon Ingram in there. I, sure. I don't think he's a serious contender compared to some of these other guys who are a little more established. But, I mean, there are years in which he would be. You know, I mean, where he's, he's got 27 points a game on... 60% true shooting. I mean, he, that's that's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is totally impossible for me. Who did you end up going with? For me, the best of that group is Chris Middleton. I think that the Middleton, his the combination of efficient offense, and I mean, he's done well in the non-Giannis minutes as well. So, yeah, I mean, he is, of course, benefiting from playing with our, our MVP and playing with Brooke Lopez, who helps make some of the defensive numbers look better. But he's having an excellent, excellent season. And then what I ended up doing, and I think this is justified by, like, cleaning the glasses positional stuff is i put i had jimmy butler as my last my third team forward and then i put paul paul george as my as a as a guard and put him on the third team as well so i was able to put three of the five on i thought that george had a better case than some of the other guards on the list he's played a plurality of his minutes i think even maybe a majority of his minutes this year by cleaning the glasses filter at guard also like to me i think that the the all nba filters should be a little bit looser anyway so i feel morally comfortable with that you know that the idea that okay Middleton Middleton but Middleton doesn't really play the two anymore but you know like those guys can all be a little bit fluid so putting them together it I mean leaving Tatum off considering the hot the hot street that he's been going on it was and I mean the Celtics obvious success not having a single Celtic in my in in my all NBA teams felt a little bit weird because of their success but you measure each person's case individually so he and Siakam were the last two cuts and I didn't like that but somebody had to had to not make it I had Middleton in there as well and his efficiency has been absolutely ridiculous uh he's the best passer on the box they're also just have played really well with him on the floor the advanced metrics support it uh now if you're gonna tell me that chris middleton is a better player than some of these guys i'm not sure that i believe that yet uh paul george was disqualified for me because he's just not only has he only played 1133 minutes which uh for reference that is only 130 minutes more than deandre ayton has played this year and he had a 25 game suspension and so george has had really three i guess he didn't miss that much with that hamstring issue the second hamstring issue but he's had some big chunks of time that have been missed and you know if you wanted to ask me who's the best player out of all these guys definitely paul george would be it right he would he would be on my team for sure uh but I think he's just, you know, he's played, when you've played, I mean, for some of these guys like Tatum, for example, you know, he's almost played like half the minutes of Tatum at this point, 60% as many minutes as Tatum. And that's just, that's just too low for me. Maybe if he just has an unbelievable end of the year and he plays every game, he might get into this. And I also think he's been a little bit below his normal level for a lot of the season. So the combination of the minutes and that kind of disqualified for maybe in another year it would be okay, different so then you're down to three you're down to butler tatum siakam as 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 we kind of both defined it that's a tough choice yeah, yeah and tatum if he continues doing this for the rest of the year he might get in there but you know for a lot of this year he was below average i mean he's still basically at the league average in true shooting and he just struggled to be efficient for the first two months of the year i mean he's also and, and it's not like he's, he's this unbelievable passer or something where you can you can yeah. lean beyond it now he has been very good defensively whether he's a lead or not depends on yeah I, I, but i i would say i think siakam is better than him defensively he provides more rim protection uh 
you know, I know that the the numbers have loved Tatum this year defensively, and he's taken steps forward. You know, I thought his game against Kawhi was encouraging as an individual defender, but the fact is, he generally this season has been third in the pecking order for who he's going to guard individually. Yeah, he's one of the best guys defending at the nail, but I don't think he provides as much rim protection as someone like Siakam does. Uh, not as much necessarily just overall inside presence and and so i think uh pascal to me is more of a power forward just operates close to the basket that sort of player generally is a little bit more valuable and, and i think pascal is a better passer than him um can do more around the basket more getting to the foul line but it's it's razor thin between those guys and pascal's been trending down and tatum's been trending up so i certainly could change my opinion there by the end so uh, and then jimmy butler defensively the heat have fallen off quite a bit you know i think he is really slipped defensively they've needed him to be the guy that he was three or four years ago defensively and that's just not the case for him any longer um, and it, I, I think he's very reliant on kind of the BS foul drawing. He's not as good of a finisher. His jump shot has really fallen off from the perimeter too. So I, I just don't think he's as good of a player as Siakam. And you know, it, with Middleton, it depends who you what you need. You know, Butler maybe is a little bit better. I don't know. Middleton might even be better as an ISO guy than him though. So and neither, Middleton's more efficient. Butler's probably a little bit better defensively, but I wouldn't say a ton better and uh, Middleton is clearly the better offensive player and the more versatile offensive player as far as being able to play off the ball as well so uh, Siakam and Middleton were ultimately my forwards apologies to Tatum Butler and Paul George let's go to the guard line for me the first spot here was it was easy that was Damien for on the second team was Damian Lillard you know I had him fifth in MVP yep behind the other two then I had a kind of separation between Lillard and everyone else and for me the next decision was Trey Young versus Chris Paul this you know Trey Young has been saddled with this team that that hasn't been as good and I mean the demolition that the Hawks suffer when Trey Young is not on the floor you know that that's killing the record and obviously that's not Trey Young's fault also the surrounding talent for him offensively hasn't been at the level of some of these other guys but I ended up going with Chris Paul over Trey Young partially because well while I would say Trey has been the better offensive player and that's not a big surprise Paul's defense and clutch play are just both exceedingly important it's also I mean Trey Young just the structure of the team he hasn't had that but I you know I, I think that the margin between even though offense is more important than defense for for perimeter players especially point guards the margin between those two defensively is gargantuan and Chris Paul is taking on you know those especially in those small ball lineups that have worked well Chris Paul's guarding small forwards sometimes even power forwards and yeah. and so for me that was that if, if it was a tiebreaker I guess you could call it that but I just think Chris Paul has had the better overall season yeah I think so and he's he certainly if you wanted to say you're getting into the playoffs who has fewer weaknesses yeah I, I think Chris Paul as well here's one of the craziest stats of the year to me Chris Paul is 18th in the NBA in minutes played it's incredible would anyone I think he's missed one game would anyone have thought that that was possible I mean and, and like we saw that dunk that he had at the all-star game on two like he's looking so spry right now I don't know whether it's the training staff in Oklahoma City or just you know, relaxing more this offseason who knows what it is but 
uh, I think he, or just being more removed from some of the injury issues that plagued him in, in Houston and, and with the Clippers. But man, he looks awesome. Well, th- and, this and year. a little bit on the like we used to do a category of players most defies regression. I mean, he would be to me, he'd be winning that oh, even over LeBron, who is slightly older. But you think about those two players are really the only two guys over 32 years old that are anywhere close to this level of player. And they're both been excellent this year. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, get a look at KD and Steph Curry next year. Yeah. <laughs> to uh, to fall into that category um so now we're, we're and i agree with you i had paul on second team just to be clear and so now we get into who we're gonna pick for third team all nba guard this was incredibly difficult before i actually had kemba walker on my second team last time again two months ago uh and he didn't even make it he was certainly a a solid contender for me uh as the on that line oh by the way i apologize not discussing bam out of bio for center he, he at least was a candidate but uh not not quite close enough i just i'm looking at my list here but wanted to make sure i mentioned him but uh so because I, I know people are, get unhappy and rightfully so when you don't even mention guys as a candidate who at least should be talked about because uh, they're like oh well you didn't consider this guy like no i, no, I consider him. um so here we go bradley beal trey young donovan mitchell devin booker and Kemba Walker are my candidates here. Yep, that's about that's about right for me too. I mean, this is just a hodgepodge of what you want to prioritize. You want to prioritize winning. You probably go with Mitchell and Walker. If you want to prioritize just uh, offense fires, I mean, Bradley Beal is averaging 30 points a game on above average uh, true shooting at this point. He's been on an absolute tear since uh, finding out they didn't make the all-star team. But obviously Beal and, and Young have struggled the most defensively among this group uh, mitchell i i was probably the easiest mitchell and booker were the easiest of this group for me to eliminate booker uh, has had some struggles in the last month month and a half phoenix uh, has fallen out of the playoff picture uh, his defense uh, has continued to wane after an improved start to the season and for for whatever reason i don't know if he's dealing with an injury or he was just hot early on i mean i didn't think so i thought what he was doing was sustainable i i don't have a great idea for why it is that he's fallen off the way he has but he just hasn't had the same impact that we saw early on in the season so it came down to me between Beal, Young, and Walker and I mean this is the one I I don't even have like a great reason but I think for when you have but you have two spots for those three right yes yeah so I ended up going with Beal and Young um I think if I ultimately had to pick it those guys are better players. Walker missing time, but you know, still overall in the season, the, the minutes issue is not that much of a, a differentiator between those guys either. But I think that, uh, and Walker does have you know, some of the elements of being able to pull up out of the pick and roll. It's going to make you change your scheme a little bit, but just not quite to the extent that Trey Young does. Uh, Trey Young's numbers to me, other than the defensive on off metrics, uh, are superior. And so, so are Beals. Uh, I mean, maybe this is a little unfair to Walker to kind of say well Tatum has had this surge so that somehow makes Walker worse I mean that's not necessarily the case so I don't really feel good about it, having Beal and Young out there I think ultimately I I just think subjectively I that those guys uh, are better players uh, ultimately but that's uh, I mean and, and even that you know you could easily say hey if you're going going into a playoff series you might rather have Kemba Walker than uh Trey Young because he's at least been in the playoffs and he tries defensively so I, again I just I, I finally just default to the fact that what Beal and Young are doing statistically is just too hard to ignore. But like I said, I, I feel pretty crappy about leaving Kemba Walker off. I don't think he's had enough of a regression to really deserve this. 
I eschewed all of those to give that spot to Paul George, but I will say that when I ran through it, Beal was my toughest cut. He, it, it's it's challenging and weird with this Washington team because yeah. there are these twin arguments that you can make. One argument is, well, Bradley Beal has a lot. He he has a lot more on his shoulders just because Boston has a lot of good players and has has a scheme and they have a better coach and all these type of things. But but then the counter to that is, a Beal is a part of the Wizards' horrendous defense, and you know if he maybe if he were setting a different tone. He do that but the other part is yes i would say that the overall talent level is is significantly worse for washington that shouldn't be a big surprise boston's one of the best teams in the league the wizards are among among the bottom but having so many offense only players does open things up a little bit for them so you could you could say that but i still sure. think that i and so they're especially when they play like davis Bertans and some of these other ones you can get into that but beal still has a lot on his shoulders when you consider what they've had to deal with at the point guard position you know isaiah thomas experiment failing and then ish smith and shabazz napier they're now now. So I, I would have gone with Beal as my sixth guard if I didn't go with Paul George. And I just think George is a significantly better player. Not significantly. He is a, a materially better player than those guys. And so I, I'm going to go there. I agree, I understand your misgivings about the minutes limits and all that type of stuff. But to me, there is enough of a Paul George sample to, to put him here, at least for now. Yeah. And like I said, I think he's the best player of any of these guys. Um, I also considered Russell Westbrook as well. I, I probably should have talked about him a little bit more. Um, I just had, I wrote down this list of other candidates and I just didn't put him on there, but I definitely did consider him. My I considered him too. Thoughts. Um, again, if you want to look at what he's done the last two months, he should be in there, but he was probably the first two months, one of the most damaging players in the NBA. Yeah, and it's, and, a, it's a full season award. Yeah. And he's gotten a lot healthier. And you also have to say, hey, for him to play the way that he's playing, because he just, he doesn't even have a jump shot anymore, right? If you compare him to where he was in that MVP season, he's shooting 34% from three. His mid-ranger was a good weapon. Now, because he just can't even shoot a jump shot at all anymore, other than, you know, 15 feet and in, they basically had to change up their system. And so... Yeah, he has been unbelievable within this system, but nobody else has a system like that, right? Where your point guard is almost your center offensively in terms of how he's shooting around the basket and everyone else has to space out to three. Um, You know, he does have enough strength where they can switch defensively. That is something that's that's good i still think that he's uh his help defense is pretty miserable um so i he keeps playing like this for the rest of the year it's going to be a conversation but it isn't quite yet um and then if you're just looking at the overall quality of the player the contributions that he's going to provide within this houston system where everything is absolutely perfect for him but on another team you might see him look a lot more like he did the first uh, couple months of the season i think the place to go from here is defensive player of the year and I have a change at the top. I have had Rudy Gobert the entire season so far, and I am f- finally, I mean, I think I think you put Giannis above him last time, if my I memory did. serves. I have Giannis above now, and apportioning credit for the Bucks' amazing defense is a challenging task, and I, I think that this, I am using a stat while acknowledging that it is misleading because a portion of it is, it, it's the suitable replacement problem. You know, the Bucks have a more suitable replacement for Brook Lopez in his identical twin brother than they do for Giannis, but... Well, well here, here's the point, though, Danny. Um, a rim-protecting center is easier to replace exactly. than somebody who does what Giannis does. Exactly. So when yeah. Giannis is on the floor without Brook Lopez, the Bucks have a basically a 100 defensive rating, which is fantastic. And then when Brook Lopez plays without Giannis, 107-1. 107-1 isn't terrible, especially when you consider they're without their best player and all the other things that come from that. Uh, Giannis is number one in defensive PIPM, number three in defensive RPM, and just 
such an integral piece of their the combination of rim protection attempts and field goal percentage and also their defensive rebounding and so i mean there there are cases for other people but i think the best case is Giannis. Yeah, and obviously it's all cumulative there. I mean, there's a lot of these shots where these these crazy rim protection numbers, I mean, Giannis, Brook Lopez, Robin Lopez, all those guys are allowing in the mid-40s in terms of shooting percentage a lot at the rim when they're in the area. And, you know, Brook and Robin challenge more shots uh, than Giannis does, but... Uh, and Giannis has the best individual defensive rating in the league, which is a 97. I mean, that is just incredible, unbelievable. That's like, you know, I mean, I can't remember the last team that had a, uh, I think the last team that had a defensive rating below 100 for the season was the 15-16 Spurs. And I mean, this Bucks defense is one of the greatest defenses of all time. And some of those numbers that you mentioned, uh, I think, uh, really put that into perspective. Giannis is all over the place. He's capable of defending on the floor. He's capable of defending at the rim. Uh, Sometimes granted, both at the same time, it yeah, feels like. His defensive rebounding is completely ridiculous. And then, he, you know, this isn't part of the defense, but he's able to turn that, obviously, into fast breaks whenever he gets a defensive rebound. Sure, yeah, they're... Uh, the Lopez twins are famous for boxing out, but I mean, they still, what is he averaging? Like 15 defensive rebounds a game or something like completely ridiculous like that. And uh, so he can really, the only thing that he can't do defensively is get through a screen. That That's about it. And uh, he plays with an incredibly high effort level. He's a superstar who plays an incredibly high effort level. So he sets the tone defensively for this group. Um, so I, I thought he was a pretty easy pick for me. Um, you know, he had uh, last, when we did this two weeks ago, I was like, oh, I, I've like, oh, he's got a 97.9 defensive rating you know that's probably gonna go up right no it's actually even gone down by like another point since we looked at it it's just absolutely insane um and and part of what's so remarkable about this is i've said before the season that if rudy gobert won a third straight defensive player of the year he would have really earned it because the jazz their change in personnel even just like i mean they've gone more with defense now that royce o'neill's in the lineup than than before but losing Derek favors that he would have really earned it and i think that Gobert's case is, I would say it's weaker than the last two years, but it's not that much weaker. It's just that Giannis's case is stronger. And that's that's what ended up happening. Um, the, there's a gigantic eight points per hundred possession difference in the Jazz defensive rating when Gobert plays and when he does not. Some of that is also the lack of suitability of a replacement. You that's know, right. So that's, not a, that's not a Rudy Gobert being amazing. Um, and one thing that's a little bit weaker on his case is that uh, I, I use sometimes I'm, I'm more comfortable instead of using the like field goal percentage of shots they contest at the rim using the percentage field goal percentage when they're in the game because then it, I mean it's, it's sometimes it depends on the circumstance sometimes that can be one can be better or worse yeah. but that is jazz opponents are shooting better at the rim when Gobert's on the floor this year than prior years that's not a surprise considering their personnel changes but drop that being at 63 percent when I think it was in the 50 like the high 50s or mid 50s in previous years that you know that is a material change and so you know I, I think that the 107.3 defensive rating including the glass garbage filter when Gobert's on the floor that's totally fine and expected given their personnel and with the drop-off so it's it's still a strong case I have him second overall but Giannis's case is is stronger than I expected and that's why part of why it took me so long to get there is I just needed to see it more and he's delivered more yeah I had Gobert as my number two Brooke Lopez was my number three Same. um and I think you know 
there might say, hey, you know, Brooke, there are some who might say Brooke is more important to their defense than Giannis. I disagree with that. I think that Brooke is put, just doesn't have as much versatility defensively. You know, he's better moving his feet. He's better getting out on the floor a little bit in that drop coverage to take away floaters. You know, the teams shoot really badly on floaters against the Bucks too. And I think that's a lot of that is Lopez surprising them with that big standing reach and with the quick short area burst to get out and challenge floaters. But Overall, I mean, there's a lot of times when they might not even close games with Brook Lopez out there. And Giannis, I mean, he can play center. He can play power forward. He can guard the other team's three in an ISO if you need to. Um, so I think he's much more important. But Brook Lopez, I mean, is also having an awesome defensive season. And, you know, another feather in the cap for Coach Bud being fantastic because Brook Lopez uh, was not viewed as a uh, defensive positive before coming to Milwaukee. Let's put it that way. Just because I pulled them, the, the here, here are the stats on proportion and effectiveness for opponents at the rim when Brook Lopez is on the floor. They're taking just 28.3% of their shots at the rim. That's 98th percentile in absolutely beyond insane in the modern NBA. And they're only making 53% of those shots. So it's not even just, oh, when they get there, they're going in. Nope, 97th percentile in one, 98th percentile in the other. And... I had a pretty decent line between the top three and everybody else. I'm a little bit more up on Joel Embiid's defense this year than I think you are. Uh, I have it, I had him fourth, but you know, not a fourth like he was really th- thriving, uh, contending there. And then Anthony Davis was also in the conversation. He's having a wonderful year. Yeah, that's true. But there really isn't any kind of a statistical argument that you could make for Davis. Um, most improved player. We wait until the end of the season for that coach of the year. Oh man, this. So something I thought about as I was going through the coach of the year is there are so many more coaches that are having really positive years than having really negative ones. Like I think I don't know if that's the league doing a better job of finding that and giving coaches opportunities. I don't know exactly what that is. Yeah, Hollinger and I talked about that in our coach rankings. Yes. And so I had a group, I'll, I'll go through my also considereds before sure. getting into the, getting into the top and, um, because they all deserve praise and there are others too that, that obviously do. But the three that I, that I wanted to single out above that is Nick McMillan. The Pacers continue to defy my expectations and there are things that I don't love about Nate McMillan as a coach, but overall, I think that his, the job that he has done in Indiana, when you consider the absences that they've had and the, the potential fit issues that they've had with playing two centers, you know, starting one of them power forward, Frank Vogel. The Nick, uh, you and I had a pretty strong disagreement on how good the Lakers defense was going to be. Some of that was personnel, but a lot of that was coaching. He's done a far better job navigating that. And again, I have some misgivings with him, the former Pacers coach, like the current Pacers coach. And then Eric Spolstra, I just, you know, this has been a, the, the Miami's defense falling off takes away some of his shine, but I just think he's done a really good job fitting these weird pieces together, adjusting their team somewhat on the fly, getting as much out of players like Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn as he has, I think that that's important impressive so none of those guys were in my top group my actually top group was not three but four because i changed my third my third place vote and so i wanted to mention them as a top four let's hear it my original three who moved to four is brad stevens i mean the celtics are top five on both ends of the floor and offensively that makes more sense to me than defensive maybe that's just me underrating some of the celtics defenders and i i've always valued center defense a lot and they've done done it with you know ennis canner and daniel tice great tice has done a really good job but Stevens has done one hell of a job. In a normal year, it's shocking to have him not be top three. And who he got supplanted by for me is Mike D'Antoni. D'Antoni, partially with help from Daryl Morey getting better personnel, reinventing this team on the fly kind 
kind of twice because offensively it happened with Russell Westbrook before they made the personnel changes, but then defensively doing it then, that is so hard to do, especially with unconventional players, as good as they are. And so I wanted to give D'Antoni a lot of credit for that. I think that it's it's a really tough coaching job, and especially when you deal with, with an MVP caliber player in Harden, but then the egos involved, Russell Westbrook won one recently, to figure out, to start the season and go, it's not working, and then figure it out first before you change the team over, and then changing the team over and taking off is really, really impressive. I didn't really have D'Antoni even in my honorable mention, just because if you look at their overall body of work, I mean, it's at best it's in line with the talent that's on this team. I mean, they're I they are below expectations for the season for me, um, and so I think I, I agree with what you're saying. And maybe you know if they continue to play at this amazing level, he'll get into the mix for me by the end of the year. And I, I agree with you; he's had a lot of stuff to navigate. Westbrook coming back from the surgery, not being as effective. I mean, they have definitely gotten Russell Westbrook to buy in much more so than in Oklahoma City. And I think D'Antoni deserves some credit for that. I think also just the fact that it wasn't Russ's franchise anymore and it's kind of Harden's franchise that maybe engendered a different attitude for him. But um, I couldn't put D'Antoni in there because I mean, my number one criterion is talent versus results and I don't think that overall their results have been that much better than the talent that they had I mean this is I expected them to win 56 games at the start of the year and they're kind of you know right in line with that I think absences for guys like Eric Gordon have have made a difference. And That's also true. Just, yeah, he they've gotten like nothing from him all year. Right, and I, I think there's some degree of difficulty things there. I mean, they did do a yeah. better job filling out the bench spots this year than they did at the beginning of last yeah. year. But, yeah, I'm not I'm, saying I'm, he's doing a bad job. I, I think I just there there are a lot of other people I had recognized before him. I think I think there have been a lot of great coaching jobs in the league this year. But so I I had a top two that has pretty much been my top two for a while now, and I have a, a line of separation there as great as all of these other coaches have done, and that's Mike Boonhol and Nick Nurse. Yep. Budenholzer's job, the job that he is continuing to do, you know, maximizing this talent, not only going from, from Kid and Prunty to Budenholzer, but being able to fit in and this year being able, I mean, they had to deal with Malcolm Brogdon being out a lot of last year, but this year they don't have him at all. And Giannis, you know, figuring out this defensive scheme, making the offense work, incorporating players when there are injuries there happen. But I, I think Nurse has done a better job. I, it, maybe it's just that I'm more sympathetic to it. Maybe it is the voter fatigue that comes from Budenholzer basically doing Doing yeah. the same amazing I, I had, job I had nurse number one too. I mean, it, like yeah. if the Raps have been entirely healthy all year and had this performance, I might go with Budenholzer. But to be able to keep it together with all the injuries they've had, I mean, that's been incredible. And then also, you know, I feel comfortable. I, I ranked nurse as uh, very high. I don't want to spoil it, but very high on my list of uh, just overall coaches. Uh, and so, I, I mean, I think his performance last year and in the playoffs makes me feel comfortable that, you know, this isn't like a Sam Mitchell uh, type of, you know, just happening to surge uh, and, you know, he's going to get fired a year later type of thing. I would agree. Uh, is there anybody else that so, you So think- you, you had Nurse 1, Boonholz or 2? Yes. Steven, um, it- Stevens was my number 3 again, I think, you know... The- I also give, and probably Rick Carlisle, I think, would be my number four. Vogel would have to be in there, too, as well, though the Lakers have been one of the luckiest teams in the NBA, so I think they're a little bit overrated right now. You know, they've, I think they've won four games more than expected. So I, I would, uh, Stevens, to me, the fact that he's 
continued to develop all these guys gotten the defense that we've mentioned the fact that he's been a really good coach for a long time as well so you feel good about this not being a fluke um and to just get from a team that i thought you know had kind of high 40s win talent to a team that's probably going to win maybe even in, in the high 50s and they've also had many an injury concern they've had yes you know just a bunch of rookies and unproven guys off the bench as well you know the lakers have been blessed with like pretty much good health all season um Mavs relatively so as well at least for their absolute top guys I know Powell's been out and Lucas missed some time but uh you know it hasn't been as bad I think as Boston or Toronto so uh that's why I put Stevens in there and, and also I'm just I'm very comfortable with his body of work in previous years and Carlisle certainly deserves a, a ton of credit as well Spolstra has fallen off a little bit to me with the Miami's defense uh falling off as well sure do you want to go to rookie of the year yeah so this is kind of hilarious just the way my document was set up i had number one john morant number two zion williamson and then just a page break happened to come before (laughs) my number three (laughs) which is uh kendrick nunn uh but i mean there's not really anyone i thought was particularly deserving at that number three i mean i guess but there was just like isn't really even any competition for none at this point but um yeah, I mean, Zion has been unbelievable. We, we talked about just like how this is, he is a generational prospect. He's doing some unprecedented things for a 19-year-old. Right now, Ja just has the larger body of work. If Zion and Ja both play this exact same way the rest of the season, that's it's going to be a really tough call for me on who to pick because this is one where, going back to the Joel Embiid-Malcolm Brogdon debate with rookie of the year, I kind of try to pick who I think is the best prospect and kind of just who is going to have the better career as like a pretty big tiebreaker. And especially going back to Embiid versus Brogdon, Brogdon I thought was a pretty weak rookie of the year candidate historically. Both Ja and Zion to me are very strong candidates. Zion is crazy good, but uh, having only played 500 minutes, I I had to put Zion at at two right now and Ja at one, but I'm keeping an open mind for the uh, the final assessment. I think my mind's a little less open than yours, but I it it is a possibility just because Jaws had a really good you know Jaws had a really good year. Oh yeah. Has, um, so right now Memphis has a 108.7 offensive rating when he's on the floor, and that's not incredible. But when you consider the surrounding talent, especially now that they've been navigating these injuries, yeah. That and a you know rookie head coach and. Not having a ton of shooting. I mean, the, the yeah. lack of shooting. Sharon Jackson being basically their only like high-profile reliable shooter is pretty impressive. So I mean, Jaws done it over above-average true shooting with his 26% usage and 35% assist percentage is is genuinely impressive to me. So yeah, I I, I like the comparison. I, I wrote it in there as well about the Brogdon Sharich you know Embiid situation. I do not see this the same way. Um, but yeah, there's a chance if Zion is superhuman enough that I I could consider it. But I'm I don't think i i don't expect that to happen yeah i mean i, I would still and, and, consider and here and here's the other thing zion is going to have a lot of other honors in his career and i think jaw will too so it's not a circumstance where i think it's going to be a haunt you know it's not going to be a michael carter williams situation or anything like that i i, I don't i i think that jaw has earned it and so i don't want to i don't want to necessarily take it away from him even if zion's been better over a small sample uh did you have none at three 
I did. Um, Brandon Clark was probably next closest. The on-off metrics continue to love Brandon Clark as they did when he was at Gonzaga. But the the leverage of the work that they do, I mean, Nunn has a has a tougher job to do in Miami than Clark does, both you know offensively and just overall within the system. So yeah, I I, I think that you know Nunn Nunn having to to fill that role, and and he even does get a little bit of benefit because that opinion shaping time at the beginning of the season when Jimmy Butler wasn't available, you know that that does still help him here. So yeah, I went with Nunn third. Okay, back at it here. Sophomore of the year. Pretty easy. We're getting into some of our more fun categories here. We still got to do six man as well and, and executive of the year in the official awards. But sophomore of the year is a good one to do after rookie of the year. Luca one, Trey two. And then I had Devontae Graham as three a couple of months ago. He's fallen off. Shea Gilgis Alexander has continued to come on. He was my fourth on pick for honorable mention. He's now at number three. And I, and I thought that was uh, a very easy decision ultimately to go those three in that order. Yep, we can move on. <laughs> uh, sixth, sixth man of the year, a pretty weak crop this year. Uh, partially, Lou Williams has taken a big step back in terms of his effectiveness, but you know, yeah. he still has a heavy usage usage rate. Still has a and, and hasn't needed to do as much depending on who's been healthy for the Clippers. So I don't even have him in my top three. He's in the honorable mention because he's such an important yeah. part of their L- team. L- let's talk about Lou here for a second. Um, and, and Dennis Schroeder. Both of these guys are, are interesting. Schroeder, uh, if you wanted to go by RPM, he's tenth in the NBA in RPM. Uh, Lou Williams is twenty seventh in the NBA in RPM. Uh, but Schroeder is 127th in PIPM and uh, Lou Williams is 394th in PIPM. So that is a massive disparity. And there's some other things that you can look at too. You can look at our APM, which is just straight up on off metrics only no box score prior at all so it could be really unstable and really needs more, even more than a year of sample size for a lot of players you can look at that 538's raptor is solid as well uh bpm 2.0 which is a much better version now on basketball reference so uh, but i i uh messaged jacob goldstein the creator of pipm to ask him why he thought that Schroeder and williams were so much worse in his metrics and he said that Schroeder has had a lot of on-off luck in his favor uh and that they just have oklahoma city has shot it a lot better from outside they've gotten really good opponent shooting luck the other thing i looked at with Schroeder was if you're talking about him in the sixth man role which you know we kind of don't necessarily do that too much but uh when chris paul is off the floor and dennis Schroeder is on oklahoma city has a negative 6.1 net rating and one of the worst offenses you know they like a 102 offensive rating during that period so a, a lot of it i think is him playing as a shooting guard playing in that three guard lineup with gilgis alexander and paul which has been so nasty at the end of games has driven a lot of their clutch performance so i think uh Schroeder to me and and then just going back on how good he's been in previous years I I think he's really he's definitely gotten a lot better this year but it's hard for me to have him in the top three and then Lou again I think defensively still causes problems his efficiency has fallen off uh the hope is uh, Jovan Buda has been writing about this that with Reggie Jackson now on their second unit he can focus more on scoring uh but he'd had a really a cup tough couple of months uh, the last bit and he's actually below the league average in efficiency now and when he's uh, got these other good players on the team that can be a little bit more damaging even though he does play a fair maneuver of his minutes without George or Leonard so neither of those guys were in it for me i think for a lot of people those would be like the top two candidates this year 
So uh, just wanted to spend some time on that because I thought it was really interesting that he there those guys are so much higher in RPM than some of the other metrics. Yeah, I think I think that's a worthwhile thing to do. Uh, some of my other also considered that I think are worth worth mentioning. Dwight Howard has done a, a nice job for the Lakers. I mean, whenever yeah. kind of whenever you can have a, a bench player who is outperformed or arguably outperformed the starter, then then Dwight deserves credit for that. George Hill has been integral, and the reason George Hill didn't make my top three, you know, he's his efficiency numbers because he refuses to miss three-pointers this year have been high, but his role within the offense is so much smaller than some some of these yeah. other players, and it's not like... A, a lot fewer minutes, too. I mean, I actually yeah. had him as my number two. Uh, I've, I've kind of been banging the drum on this for a while that it shouldn't we just kind of overrate scoring overall and i want to really give more credit to some of the really good players who come off the bench who can actually play in the playoffs who have well-rounded games who may just not necessarily be you know that big score who gets the most attention coming off the bench um so i did have hill second i mean i think if you just like on a per play basis uh he uh, and just the number of teams that he could fit into as well I'd like to have him. I couldn't put him number one, though, just because he hasn't played quite as many minutes uh, as my number one guy. Yeah, I think I had Hill uh, third last time, and I moved him down to, to, to fourth for for an interesting player that I'm not sure will be there moving forward. And then I also want to mention Seth Curry. I think that he's done, he's had an important part to play in Dallas's success this year. Um, yeah. So the, uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So my three and two are both big men who are far better on offense than defense, which is not generally something we reward. But when I was thinking, you know, with this weaker class, I thought that their cases were were better. And number three is, this happens every once in a while. It happened with Spencer Dinwiddie, incidentally, last year, uh, is Christian Wood, who's strengthening his case when he is not a sixth man. That he is, but the overall value, I mean, he's a 22-7 PER. I think he's improving defensively. And his combination of usage and minutes played is, you know, that that's value, you know, being on the and all that so it's weird to have him in the sixth man conversation george hill is a truer sixth man but the way i kind of think of it is like who are the best most outstanding players who are eligible and then not yeah. thinking as much about that and christian wood's been damn good no i think so i mean he was in my also to watch list i mean ironically he's starting now but if he plays incredibly well the rest of the year uh, then maybe he gets onto this but also he, he's kind of he's not really doing it in a serious situation <laughs> you know that's, that's definitely that's, true um, and my number two is doing it in a serious situation that's Montrose Harrell you know yeah. Harrell's case is basically the same as other years you know sky high PER 23% his uh, 26% usage is the fourth highest of of the potential candidates my number one is number one there and for those who like v- who like VORP VORP uh, Montrose Harrell is number one of bench eligible uh, of eligible six men for that award yeah and he's taken some steps forward as a switch defender this year the defensive rebounding is as bad as ever the rim protection is as bad as ever but uh i mean he is really an absolute force to be sure um does that mean our number one is the same i think so no he was my number one actually oh um, my number one is Derek rose yeah you know rose i had him a little bit lower again this is what i i think it's totally defensible to have rose on there he probably would have been like number four for me i, I feel like i just it, it's so hard these these guys are all so close together we talk about it all the time you're talking you know what is the difference between the you know 40th and 50th best player in the nba or you know the 60th and 70th it's so difficult to do that as opposed to when you're at the very top you get more stratification uh, in terms of the distribution 
Rose is my number four. I think he's just not quite that efficient. I think he's just been asked to do, you know, all he can eat, all he wants offensively. Misses a, a fair amount of time. He's also going to miss more time as well, which maybe creeped into things a, a little bit. So I, I, and again, not really doing it in like a real winning serious situation. Yeah, but so for me, the real winning serious situation there, it's not his fault. Like, he, you yeah. know, he the, he was the best thing going for the Pistons and the starting lineup falling off a cliff because especially Blake Griffin getting hurt. You know, like, he could have been a part of a winning situation. And, you know, it's it's sort of in a way like yeah. the argument we've made for Trey Young in the past and other things. So I'm... Yeah, my, and he was helping them when they actually were, like... Exactly. And and so for me, you know, and number one in offensive BPM and, and also, like... You mean uh, among of, these candidates? Among you mean, these candidates. Yeah. And, and the other persuasive part of it for me with Rose is that he has this you know part of the Iguodala case not on the defensive end obviously but the idea of a player who is comes off the bench but then is good enough to often close games for you I love those types of players and Derek Rose is that for the for the Pistons and was that even before they fell off cliff so so I, 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 here's, I, yeah. here's what I'll say I'm pretty confident that Derek Rose is going to be my sixth man of the year too because him not playing anymore I think actually helps his case <laughs> all right I, I I guess we shall see so Harold was my number one George Hill is my number two, and I actually went with Moxie Kleba as my uh, number I like three. Kleba. Kleba was somebody I should have mentioned in the Oscar center. He has a good case. Too. Yeah, and again, another guy shooting 38% from three, can protect the rim, can move his feet. I mean, you saw his defensive versatility playing against Zion Williamson last night, but it's not just defending in the post. He's it might be their best guy defending big face the basket forwards as well, and he really just doesn't have any weaknesses, uh, which is absolutely massive and with Dwight Powell going down they really haven't missed a beat at all uh he hasn't started he did but he's capable of starting he can play next to Porzingis he's playing the spread center off the bench if you need him to do that he can play the four so he just fits into so many places on a winning team I I was worried about his ability to play enough minutes but I I think he's answered some questions on that this season as well I mean again there's a lot of guys that really could have gotten in here I mean Jordan Clarkson is having a wonderful season uh you know the Jazz initial success and they got him may have been falsely attributed to him but you know in terms of his individual offense it's been excellent he's high usage solid efficiency that's what you want there davis bertans was sure in in this list for me last time we did this but it has missed a bunch of time since then seth curry has been on fire he could easily get into this mix as well though the advanced numbers are not that great on him uh bogdan bogdanovich a perpetual favorite here as well would like i thought deserve mention i mean he's he has probably has the best overall advanced metrics of any of these guys uh and then norman powell too has been really good mm-hmm. for toronto but he's a suffered from some missed time also so i mean this is just really any of these guys could have been in the top three to me other than frankly Schroeder or lou williams and i wouldn't have had too much of an argument about it let's um, do executive of the year my number one has been the same the entire season and it would have taken something truly incredible to jump past him and that's lawrence frank i mean to put together a an elite team without having to sacrifice all of the depth that may, that is helping helping the Clippers. You know, Lou Williams having a disappointing season and some of the other stuff is there. But I mean, being able to retain Zubac and I mean, remember Zubac and remember that the Clippers aren't a luxury tax team this year. Some of that is that they had to have cap space in order to sign Kawhi and everything else. But the thing, some of the little machinations in there, like the Mo Harkless part of this, that they were they were able to get a first rounder for Mo Harkless to take on his contract, then use then use that first rounder as a part of the Paul George trade and then use Mo Harkless as salary ballast 
to get Marcus Morris. That is a really They maintained their first round pick even for this year, even while doing those trades so that they could get Marcus Morris. And they look really good since they got Marcus Morris too, which is, uh, you know, their their crosstown rivals uh, did not successfully preserve flexibility in that regard. Right, and and didn't retain flexibility also in terms of like reasonable matching salary. The Lakers giving all of those guys player options made them all get no trade, basically no trade things except for Avery Bradley, who they didn't trade. Um, my number two, even though I believe technically the executive of the year ballot is only one person, my number two was Sam Presti. The foresight to move on and use the leverage that he had to to get assets for both Russell Westbrook and Paul George, not only in terms of draft picks, but also in terms of players that have really helped their team. I mean, th- there is this argument. I'm sure there'll be people who are saying, like, why didn't you have Billy Donovan in your coach of the year rankings? And a part of it is that for me, I thought that the Thunder talent level was way higher than everybody else did. You know, Chris Paul. Yeah, I should have mentioned Donovan, though, in my yeah, coach of the year discussion. Didn't know that he was going to play this much, obviously, but knew that he was going to play well when he played. Gallinari is a, is a very good player and who's having an, an underappreciated season in some respects as well. Uh, but so Sam Presti being able to do that and not sacrifice, you know, not that they, they could have sacrificed the present for the return that they got that would have been totally fine but to do so and also give them a, a successful team right now is is, is a, a, an impressive double that doesn't happen very often and maximizing the leverage from the Paul George circumstance doing that incredibly well and like that has made me think a lot about Tommy Shepard's decision though Tommy Shepard wasn't really running the shop then it was that weird situation when he hadn't formally gotten the job with Bradley Beal you know like Whenever Bradley Beal gets traded, the return that he, that the Wizards get for him is going to be significantly less, my expectation, than what OKC got for Paul George. Yeah, and I don't think his owner uh, was interested in trading him. And they did at least extend Bradley Beal, which right, they, and they, and they not have. and that's not all the executive's fault you know it's executive plus management but as we've talked about with sam presti before part of being a great executive is getting ownership to sign off on things that might be challenging um i had sam presti number two as well my number three was pat riley uh, I think the, the trade deadline stuff has only improved my opinion of what he was able to do getting off of Johnson and Waiters and opening up cap space for this summer if they wanted to do it, getting Iguodala and Crowder in that deal also. And that's a, that's pretty solid, I think. And, and also, I, I'm kind of counting signing Nunn and Robinson to good contracts at the very end of last season in this. I mean, that was basically this year, essentially, was after last year's trade Since deadline. Since they got almost no value from them last year. Precisely, yeah. So, uh honorable mention david griffin yep i do think that the jackson hayes pick may ultimately come back to haunt them but it's not like anyone picked immediately after them is looking that great either and the value proposition i still think Nikhil alexander walker is going to be a good player he might actually need to make a shot at some point uh and getting jj reddick was a good pickup i thought they got absolutely as much as they possibly could from the lakers and especially with ingram and ball looking way better i mean that's looking like maybe one of the better returns that we've seen picking up Derek favors for nothing if they do make the playoffs that's going to be a huge part of why they do because they just haven't had any chance of stopping anybody without him on the floor so all that has looked really good and then daryl morey you can probably throw him into this mix if this small ball thing really works out you know if, if houston like wins the championship or something this year or gets to the finals with this small ball thing you'd have to throw him in there uh, the paul for westbrook trade wasn't looking amazing maybe now it, it will actually end up benefiting them on the floor this year if they have this new way of playing uh, anyone else who is in the mix for you no i think that's about the full list yeah there's i i remember actually uh going back here i'm looking at who i had because i have that all on my sheet of who we had the first month 
James Jones was actually on there for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how things have changed in Phoenix. Um, Kevin Pritchard also, I, I think, yes. did a, a pretty decent job remaking this Pacers team to be about the same quality, but to get younger. That's pretty good. And unfortunately, the Jeremy Lamb contract looks worse now that he's going to be hurt for probably all of next year, but it was still a reasonable contract to sign, and you couldn't have seen this coming. Not executive of the year. Same guy I had last month, or last time we did this, which was which was a newcomer, and that was Travis Schlenk. The, yeah, they should so, be a playoff team right now. If he hadn't exactly. just fucked like, around with backup point guard and center, they, they would probably be challenging for the playoffs right now and those were totally foreseeable holes this is not yeah. you know it, there there are times where you know an injury like i mean you could and neil O'Shea will be one of my also you know neil O'Shea will be in this conversation but where an an, an an injury illustrates a lack of depth you and i were harping on this like we you, i think we both had the hawks under as one of the best bets on the board i think we had it one and two respectively because we saw these issues and we knew they were going to come back and the other reason why those are a big part of the demerits for Schlenk is those are not hard spots to fill. This is not, you know, missing a missing a, a wing or something where it's like, oh, well, how are they going to get that guy? Center is the most supply-rich position in the entire league. Getting capable players there is not a problem. And he he rolled the dice with, you know, Alex Len, who I never thought was good. And um you, you and and then back a point guard, he didn't roll the dice with anybody. He rolled the dice on saying nobody and that that was going to work. They did get kind of bailed out by the Jeff Teague trade. Um, I've liked a lot of what Garrison yeah. Rosas has done, but I mean, yeah. getting, that, getting that was some... the most that crab for Teague trade when now then uh, crab couldn't be aggregated was one of just the weirdest yeah, trades was, that I it, can it, remember. It, and it was so, another part of it was okay. They, there was this idea that Jeff Teague just needed to be out. You could be, you could even just send him away from the team or something to to lose that flexibility, which probably made the some of the other trades a lot more difficult. You know, the Covington and everything else was for like a couple weeks weeks when they got no benefit now this isn't like the opposite side of the trade when if the hawks if you can get jeff teague a couple weeks early by all means do it just like the jazz with jordan corkson but then the other part of the swing profile which might end up being more significant long term depending on if their struggles this year get lloyd pierce fired is that they uh the the trade that they made on draft night betting on deandre hunter giving up all of those resources including taking on bad money you know they took on solomon hill's contract in that deal and then they ended up getting uh chandler parsons in that corresponding trade with memphis which didn't yield any fruit for them and then remember solomon hill actually played for the grizzlies whereas chandler parsons did not for the hawks that could end up being a big a big problem when you not only when you consider who the pelicans ended up drafting with some of those picks you and i both like Nikhil alexander walker and then uh dd could end up being a a part of the Pelicans at some point, but the opportunity. Yeah, is, and, and don't forget, there's still two more Cleveland first rounders co- or second rounders, second rounders coming to the to the Pels uh, from that deal as well. Yeah. So, um, and, and remember that New Orleans also used some of that flexibility to get Derek Favors and everything else. So, like, I mean, the, there was value, even if even if last year wasn't the most valuable yeah, cap space. But for everybody. I, how about if the Hawks just uh, traded for Derek Favors for nothing? You know, like, and got him for this year. Um, to solve their set or uh their yeah and problems. having bird rights on him could have been really helpful yeah he's, since he's from atlanta the jabari parker signing was maybe oh. one of the weirdest ones of the offseason and they had to cut bait on that 
immediately i do think he's recovered slightly also we should mention the crab trade uh where he was able to take on crab and uh i think the the tor- moving on from torian prince is probably fine uh they did pick up that brooklyn first round and then they flipped that for capella we haven't seen what that looks like on the floor yet i thought that the deadman deal for parker was fine um so they are going to have something at center now going forward so he may have recovered a little bit but i mean the the biggest the two things that i i think are really bad were the trade for hunter who hasn't looked amazing so far and he's old, an older rookie too uh they gave up too much value and the guy that they bet on doesn't look like he's gonna fulfill what they hope for him reddish actually might work out as a pick sure. you know that that's looking a little bit bit better and then obviously um you know the issues at, at backup point guard and, and center overall um elton brand is my number two that horford contract is really looking bad i mean they they probably could have retained you would think jimmy butler and jj reddick they would probably be better off for that if they had um you know josh richardson has been solid for them but also how long can they actually retain him with this group uh, with him being a free agent after next year and being so impacted now by the luxury tax the max extension for ben simmons uh, yeah i guess that's that's probably fine i mean he he's tradable on that contract at, at a minimum well and, uh, they, they and- did they he didn't get a player option on that which was something and, but, and yet again, the Sixers had had a lot of bench holes, and it was they, yeah, they got a the, little. They they disappointed at the trade deadline again too, and in the buyout market. Yeah, on the on the trade deadline, I mean, getting Glenn Robinson and and Alec Burks for nothing is I, I would say that was a positive, but they could have yeah. done more. You but know, they like, needed more than that. They needed more, and they still had all of their ammunition because they didn't give any of that up by taking on those two players. So yeah, they might have had to cut some extra guys from the roster, but they do that. Uh, the other ones that I want to talk about, Bob Myers, his I'd be basic that. This is the the analogy that I've been using, and I'm working on like three pieces on this basic concept of uh, the. I can't remember who I sold this to, but it's the idea is like you can never tell you can never tell if you oversalted the food when it's burnt to a crisp. Like we don't know exactly how bad this Warriors team would have been relative to expectations because Steph Curry missed 59 games, but it looked in that early going before Steph Curry got hurt like they were just not that they were not that good, and and that they were you know the the resources that were committed. You and I both absolutely didn't like the D'Angelo Russell trade um and then they ended up having to they were bad enough where they could you know they were bad enough where it became potentially justifiable to duck the tax which is which is interesting um and then yeah. we'll have to see on we'll have to see on the Wiggins part it's possible like that the Wiggins if that works out well and, and betting against D'Angelo Russell and the Wolves next year that that ends up looking pretty good we'll have to we'll have to see and then the other one I want to mention is the Olshay Olshay was on of course on this list for me last time because having so little depth at a positional group that an injury to Zach Collins sinks your season is a big problem. And they, they bet so much harder on, okay, we can get, get Hassan Whiteside. And while Hassan Whiteside was a very good fit for certain things that they needed, his cap money and everything else tied, it, it made it so much harder to, to build out a competent rest of the team. And remember, this is this Blazers team. Yes, they made the Western Conference Finals last year. They're, I, have, I believe they're going to end the season as the most expensive team in the NBA. Yeah, and uh, I agree with you there. Uh, Brand was my number two. Dearly departed Steve Mills. Yeah, number three. That's the other one that has to be mentioned here. Yeah, uh, Olshay uh, was four. Bob Myers still 
looking a little dicey but with you know you got uh, jordan Poole and eric pascal the wiggins trade you know we'll see what happens there it's really he's probably the most incomplete uh, of any of these i mean the russell trade didn't work out that well whether that was a good trade for wiggins or not remains he's been a little bit better but his stats are still eerily overall kind of similar to what it was in minnesota for the time being at least uh, getting out of the tax, I actually give him credit for that. If it's going to enable them to spend more, uh, we didn't really see that coming. Uh, well, and, and, and it's, worth, it's worth noting, I wrote a piece breaking this down for the Athletic that ducking the tax does not give them like a larger mid-level exception or anything to work with in the future. It just makes it saved ownership money, so then ownership might be more willing to pay it. Also, it does reduce since they are not a repeater in the twenty slash twenty one season. That could it, it lowering the per dollar cost of things like using the mid-level exception and using some or all of the Andre Guadala trade exception becomes more palatable. All right, let's uh, turn to a few more of our categories here biggest surprise team uh number one for me was toronto especially if you told me that they're gonna have the injuries that they're gonna have and be on pace for a high 50s win season number two to me is boston and number three is okc i also consider the lakers dallas and indiana my, uh, but that, you yeah. know what's fun my number one wasn't any of the teams you mentioned indeed the memphis grizzlies oh yeah i memphis yeah. I thought they were. I thought they were the were going to be the worst team in the West. I thought that you know we, you, you, there were these things of oh you can make an argument for yeah I'm an else. idiot for not even mentioning them that like, was terrible you could you could make an argument for everyone else if it, it it could work out you know Phoenix were like hey if Devin Booker takes a step you know they added all these veterans and New Orleans we're seeing a lot of those cases play out right now and some of them with like the Kings due to some injuries and stuff earlier on didn't happen um but Memphis I just didn't think they were going to be any good they're yeah they're we didn't ne- even think they'd be trying. Yeah, and their negative one net rating is totally fine. You know that that's that's pretty solid. There isn't a ton of shooting luck in their like defensive profile. They're around league average on both ends of the floor. And yeah, yeah. I, th- I mean, I, to be league average on offense, at some point at the end of the year, we'll go back. I remember I did those rankings of what I thought every team would rank in offense and defense before the year. That'll be fun to go back and look at. But uh, I think I had Memphis twenty ninth. Yeah. So so Memphis for me, yeah. You know, and and Toronto is, is number two on the list. I mean, I I predicted Toronto under and that looks unbelievably stupid i didn't think that siakam was going to be able to take that step van vliet also as well nick nurse i thought nick nurse was a great coach picked him for coach of the year and yeah boston's success especially defensively given the that they never got that defensive center we'd become so fixated on that and they they ended up not doing that but their defense has been good we'll see how much that carries over into the playoffs um but yeah i mean that that's another big surprise but for me memphis was number one by by a decent margin yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of quality surprising teams sure. this year. Um, biggest surprise player for you? It's still Brandon Ingram. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it, Ben Taylor crystallized it for me when he said he's had the greatest, most unexpected one season shooting improvement in NBA history. And I, and I, when he said that, I really thought back and and tried to think of some others. And I mean. The only other one that I might look at, I don't know if it was one season, and it might have even been in between college and the pros, but like Michael Red coming out of Ohio State was like kind of a non-shooter and pretty quickly became just like an unbelievable three-point shooter, like one of the best in the NBA. Um, And he had kind of weird form. It's too bad that he tore his ACL and was kind of never the same after that. But 
uh, yeah, I mean, but certainly in recent memory, he is the the greatest one season shooting improvement in NBA history, and so I'd, I have to, uh, and I think it's real. I, I honestly think it's real, especially with the free throw shooting. Another player who we're not doing most improved this time, and we'll do it, but in terms of surprising, when you consider also the importance of this jump is Luca for me because having yeah, he him was as my a, number two having him as an MVP caliber player this young is it's 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 insane I mean Luca he just turned 21 and you and I both didn't bat an eye having him in the top five of the MVP race the next youngest is Giannis and everybody else who we had in the top five is 28 or older yeah Devonte Graham was on this list for me he's kind of fallen off a, a little bit now uh George Hill was also on this li- list for me and and still but just it, it, what he's doing just isn't as important uh three and four for me were Siakam where I think we've all we've almost just like gotten used to what he's doing yep. and kind of forgetting how ridiculous that was at the beginning of the year and then uh Jason Tatum if he keeps uh, keeps this up with this like 40% off the dribble three point shooting uh he might even move up above Siakam for me by the end of the year but an- an- I mean and, and I, I guess for me though it's a lot of people would say oh I'm not surprised by this at all whereas I I was a little bit more of a I, I thought people were putting the cart before the horse a little bit with Tatum and so uh that, that's a I'm the one now who has been surprised by it. Another one I want to mention, even though it is probably more situational rather than him being dramatically better as a player, is Davis Bertans. I mean, seeing him be unleashed the way that he has and and getting getting this role in the offense has been it's been thrilling and it has been surprising because even though he's still coming off the bench, it's still it's been surprising. And so I wanted I wanted to mention him. Yeah, well, I've been really enjoying it. Um, It's been fantastic. Imagine imagine if they were just a teensy bit better. Okay, biggest disappointing team. I was talking about this with a couple people beforehand. I, I was having a little bit of trouble just kind of because at this point in the year, you've already priced in some of the disappointment. And the one the one that kind of came through in that, and it's weird because there's this, there, the book is not yet written on their season, is Philadelphia. It is partially injury-based. I mean, they now that, I mean, Embiid missed time and Simmons blew up and now they're both out. But the idea that they were the, you know, this the number two team, maybe they have the, they have the Bucks number. And, and some of it, has been health. I mean, going back, I mean, we we did that game for the NBA cast on Christmas Day, but it just kind of seems like all these pieces might not fit together. And the, the other reason why they're most disappointing for me is how locked in they are. And that's a little bit outside of the general frame of this question. But for me, it was important because, yeah, the Warriors are super disappointing and they're my number two. But the Warriors, the form of disappointing that the Warriors are is more of a temporary condition due to like, I mean, Steph being injured exacerbates it. And yeah, no. And I think they'll probably be your number one for good reason. But the Sixers, it's it's like it's more like this team may never be what we thought they would be. So Philly, they've had a lot of injuries. I picked them to win 53 games this year. Like, what are they on pace to win? Like 50, 51? Something like that, yeah. And, and if Ben Simmons hadn't gotten injured, they probably would be right in that range. I think a lot of their, why they are perceived as a disappointment is because Boston and Toronto have passed them and Miami is kind of right there with them and Indiana is like slightly right there with them as well. And so that to me is more about, it. they're actually, now I thought their defense would be a lot better. I thought that, that overall, especially with all their main guys on the floor that they would look better than they have right the performance of that starting lap i thought that was going to be a monster it's not so certainly they look like a lot less of a contender the fact that they're not going to be the two seed i mean i had them winning 53 games and the third seed was going to be boston with 48 right i thought they'd be easily the two seed they'd coast to that and that they'd 
you know wouldn't have to be that much better than they have been but i think they've just had more pressure put on them by these other good teams in the east and that has really framed their performance but that's that i mean they've had uh, a, a lot of issues they were my number two golden state was my number one even with the injuries i mean d'angelo russell and draymond green should be enough to be the heart of like not a 13 win team <laughs> through uh, they they and you know guys like burks gr3 like those guys had decent starts to the year now they had all those injuries at center certainly but i mean even if you told me before the start of the year yes steph is going to be out he's going to miss basically the whole year until now i mean i would have had them winning you know a third of their games at least well and um, remember the warriors had a negative net rating when steph curry is on the floor yeah i mean that was uh, there clearly were like some massive problems like they although frankly like i think if steph had played maybe they would have been i guess they are still my number one but they would have been like even further away as my number one because that, i think, I they, think they would have been sucked. my number one if they had if they had been healthy um philly was my number two portland was my number three we, we've kind of talked about them in the not executive of the year already uh honorable mentions to chicago and atlanta particularly atlanta if you had told me that trey young was going to have this kind of an offensive season and that they still wouldn't even be remotely sniffing the playoffs well and even that, and, and that the bottom of the east would come to them yeah no shit yeah it's just like it's it's really i mean i had predicted atlanta for 30 wins at the start of the year but i didn't know that trey young was going to be this good i mean he's been awesome and just everything else has been so bad and chicago part of it's the injuries but just the lack of development uh for Markinen in particular and just not looking like this can be a solid playoff core going forward this is supposed to be the year that that was going to emerge in and it just didn't have it's really more not even necessarily the one loss record i mean i only had him with 35 wins but and then when you throw in the injuries kind of where they're going to end up it seems about right but just the lack of the individual player development i mean the 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 one thing that's kept them remotely respectable has been this crazy trapping defense that forces a lot of turnovers and you know for them to be like like bottom five in the nba and offense all year i mean that's really disappointing it is uh most disappointing player i'm going to start with al horford really just uh, has not been able to make a difference this year now perhaps that's because of this achilles soreness and he's just dealing with injury and maybe that can change but uh you know he's been he's been out there he's been playing and uh, so it's always tough when you're like oh this guy has been injured but he's still trying to tough it out like how much emphasis do you put on that but his inability to make shots just not working as the four i mean if you had told me that al horford was me coming off the bench halfway through the season and even when ben simmons was out he was coming off the bench that's that's a major problem that that was not what they were signing up for with 109 million dollars you and i do not disagree on al horford but he's not my number one because mike Conley still exists and yeah but i'm not sure other than like the like since he's these last couple of of, uh of months like i don't know if he's been the problem for them i mean you look at you look at the overall body of work i mean he's yeah even though he's hitting 36 percent of his threes which is in line with last year he's not getting to the free throw line he's not getting to the basket he you know that that he hasn't been that we we thought that he was going to be what you know give this jazz offense a little bit of juice and that so they faced another switching scheme and all the type of stuff and he hasn't he hasn't been that guy and also like you know so to me the idea some of that might have been over inflation of expectations i think that might be fair but he has it to me to me he's he's more more disappointing than horford because i didn't see the warning signs the way that with horford it was always like oh he's playing kind of a different role the sixers team is going to have some weird stuff in terms of ball movement and all that and then with conley it's like oh well he he makes all this work and then he just 
straight up hasn't yeah Horford I at least thought would be good defensively he hasn't even really done that for a, a large portion of the year um well, my so number just, two yeah just you oh, have yeah, it sorry. so here here Con- Conley's post all-star break he's played in six games he has 59 percent true shooting but it's only on 20 percent usage yeah but that's I mean that's about where it should be considering that Bogdanovich and Mitchell are, are both having really nice seasons um yeah and he's averaging and, fewer and than they, five like, assists per game in this post all-star break and was yeah. averaging it pretty and they haven't been like that bad with him on the floor I, I still don't think that he's like quite what ails them necessarily but um he was in my also considered uh i mean this is obviously a totally subjective category so sometimes it's just like who do you happen to be kind of mad at that week um and in that vein Draymond green i mean just (laughs) like okay i get it you want to not play that many minutes but like he's just like taking games off for like what seems like basically nothing at this point i mean that maybe it's you know i'm sure there's like some knee soreness or hip soreness or whatever it is uh but and not only that but like he's he's hurt the team this year when he's been out there and so this has been a disappointment you would have thought okay this guy can still maybe he can make a good defense on his own no he has to really he can be a an incredible defensive player but he also has to kind of have the right pieces around to really make a huge difference i Um, forgot a surprise positive player i don't want to mention him before i forget tim hardaway jr Oh yeah, no, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I I I did not see this coming, and he's been an important part of their a part part of their starting lineup this year. Yeah, here at the hour thirty mark, you can just like throw in whoever you want, whatever you want. To. Yeah, and I, 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 I did throw, the same thing with Bam. I'm right? scrolling, I'm scrolling through player rankings right now, and then seeing guys. And another one I want to mention as a surprise is Daniel Tice. He's just been way better than I thought he'd be. Yeah, no, that's that's been a good one too. I mean, he was kind of like we thought he was like a crappy third center he's looked so much more athletic this year anyway but back back to draymond offensively he's really hurt the team you know his three-point shooting still sucks uh he just he kind of draymondizes the offense too because he just he has to have the ball because if he doesn't then he's just not going to get guarded and so you've got to kind of run all this like motion screen stuff and just yeah you know that that's works awesome when you have clay thompson and steph curry uh and kevin durant but not as well when you don't have that level of shooting and so just his it's interesting because I, I know a lot of people have thought about him as like a really like scalable player and, you know, someone with a lot of versatility, you can do a lot of things, but just his offensive weakness. And then if he's not going to play a thousand percent on defense, it's just going to be a major problem. Like he's been like, they, I'm not sure what the numbers say, but certainly when he's out there, he doesn't look like he's helping the team. Um, And then number three for me, this one is tough because he's been injured a lot of the year, but Marvin Bagley, when he's been out there, just has not shown the promise, the stuff that he was supposed to be good at, the posting up, ISOing, scoring, even that really has been below average this year. And when he came back from that that injury, that was like a hand injury. He should have been pretty ready to go with that. And then obviously getting injured, I mean, that's you don't want to hold that against him, but it's also really disappointing for a Kings team that's trying to decide whether they're going to build around him or not. Um, well, and the other part, so, so to me, the big difference between Bagley and Aiton is that when Aiton has been on the floor, and there was the disappointment that he missed 25 games due to the suspension, yeah. but when Aiton's been on the floor, you've seen the inklings of what it could be whereas yeah, no I, I mean he's taken more of a step forward this year than I, than I would have thought John Collins was on this list too for me uh with the the PD suspension but he's actually been really good since he's coming he's at 65% true shooting now um Darius Garland would be one for me just really has shown absolutely nothing this year which is a problem uh I did have Conley on there and then Julius Randle um now a lot of that I think is just his situation in New York where he just hasn't had any space to work with as compared to New Orleans last year but I thought he could at least provide some efficient scoring and he hasn't even been able to do that all right what else do we have here for categories where you want to go next we're we're getting like close-ish to done right (laughs) 
Yeah, we're get, we're getting close-ish to done. Um, we could do so for best win and worst loss. We had two months, so I picked I picked some for each. Uh, best win of January for me was the Celtics absolutely crushing the Lakers. That was a one thirty nine one oh seven game at the Garden. Both LeBron and AD played, so it wasn't a you know a situation like that. The Celtics just just beat the crap out of them. And then the other way that you can get a best a win of the month is one that could be like crystallizing or change the way you think about it. And so the other win is also over the Lakers, and that was the Houston Rockets one twenty one. 111 at Staples. That was the the game after Robert Covington was on the team and you went, oh, this might actually work. And so that made me think about the the new look Rockets fundamentally differently. A couple others to mention: the Nuggets beating Milwaukee, beating the Bucks in Milwaukee on the last day of January. That was that was impressive game Giannis played in. I believe that was one of the Bucks' only losses yeah. in this two month in this two month window that Giannis actually played. And then that that game when this feels like a lifetime ago when the Sixers beat the Lakers, uh, they beat them. That was the game when uh, sat before the night before the tragedy when uh, LeBron passed Kobe for third all time in scoring. Um, that was just the Sixers just played really well and yeah. beat them. Yeah, so that, like, oh, that okay. was no no Embiid in that game. Um, for me, it's a. I mean, this is uh, the recency bias award. Uh, Memphis over the Lakers. They had lost three straight in absolute blowout fashion. No Jaron Jackson floundering after the trade deadline. They blow out the Lakers at home. Then they have blown out their last two teams as well. Really righted the ship. Uh, as far as their playoff push and then also uh, Miami over Milwaukee which was just this week but I I think that was one that showed up to me because it kind of solidified to me that Miami could match up reasonably well against Milwaukee they first team to beat Milwaukee twice this season um do i need to do the well actually that that game was in march but that's okay. yeah no i mean i was i, I was just doing it for uh, up yeah, until for the month. time since yeah. the last awards that's yeah. that's fair i i did mine before that game occurred um and also the part of the reason i'm mentioning that is because my worst like the, the that nuggets warriors loss could be among the worst losses of the month except that it occurred it, it occurred in march but yeah anyway. that, that was an honorable um, mention for me as was phoenix losing at home to golden state and basically ending their yeah. their playoff chances but my worst loss was uh philly 108 94 to cleveland and they also lost joel and beat to a sprained shoulder in that game and they scored 94 points against the cleveland cavaliers mine is similar and that was denver losing at home to the Cavs, 111 103 denver putting up a 108 offensive rating against one of the worst teams in the league and worth noting in that denver only turned the ball over five times the Cavs don't really force like and so it would they just they weren't making shots they weren't really generating much so that that's a really disappointing loss so denver having a couple on that list they had one on the best win list and they have two on the worst loss list all right game of the months uh honorable mentions here for me uh the one we just saw last night luca zion won um the lakers celtics game uh, where and the celtics clippers games are both going on uh jason tatum's personal highlight reel uh the net celtics with brooklyn scoring 51 points in the fourth and karis lavert scoring 37 in the fourth and overtime but gets a demerit because uh, both teams are kind of at skeleton crews in that one so uh, I'm going to go with Utah and Houston, the uh, Bo- oh, Boyan Bogdanovich game. crazy game winner after P.J. Tucker hit a corner three to put them up. And I also thought it was just fascinating from a strategic standpoint, too. I really enjoyed the Rudy Gobert guarding Russell Westbrook with the small ball lineup of the Rockets going up against the Jazz. These teams are very familiar with each other. These coaches are very familiar with each other, but some new personnel in there. And uh, I-, I always enjoy the strategic tussle when those two teams match up and then you throw in the drama at the end yeah I, I will agree with that do you want to do the trends that will continue and and and, and be aberrations i mean i did i did the work if you didn't I could yeah no no i got it 
I, I okay. put a lot of time into this actually. Um, so the the so last month the the last time we did this, the trend uh, that I said would continue was this disparity that Oklahoma City had, where they weren't getting to the rim, but they were making their shots there. Hmm. That did that did not continue. Their attempt rate went. So, from, so you said that would continue, or that it I would? said it would. I okay. thought I thought that it would. I thought that you know with Chris Paul not wanting to get to the basket as much, you know things like that, that it would. But when they got there, you know Stephen Adams finishing all that sort of stuff, I thought that it could you know not be number one. One, but be in the mix. Uh, the attempt rate went up. They're still in the. They're twentieth, so they're still towards the bottom. But their field goal percentage in at the at the rim dropped to league average, right around to fourteenth. Stephen Adams missing time in January presumably didn't help that. But yeah, I, I would I would count that as an incorrect call. Uh, my trend that was going to continue i said that with Derek favors on the floor new orleans would continue to be a top 15 defense in the nba and yes they have a 108.5 defensive rating with him on the floor that would be ninth overall in the nba that's for the entire season um my trend from last month that i thought was was, uh an aberration golden state i think had a top 10 defense in december and i predicted that they would not be a top 15 defense going forward and they have been 23rd since january 1st so i'm two for two my aberration was Miami's insane three-point shooting disparity. They at, at the time we recorded, they were number two in three-point shooting percentage and had the second lowest opponent three-point shooting percentage. That I would say it's a it's a, it's an incomplete for me there. Uh, the the opponent three-point shooting did get a lot better. It went for they went from second to thirteenth. So and that swing of two and a half percent is really really big and but they only dropped themselves and i thought their shooting was largely real but they they dropped from 39 percent to 38 four which moved them from third to fifth so i would say that's a partial a partial win my thought process was correct i just didn't account for that they actually are a really good shooting team themselves all right so we'll do one more prediction around here uh my trend that will continue Right now, the LA Lakers have a negative 9.6 net rating with Markeith Morris on the floor. That's in only 78 minutes, however. I don't think they're going to stay quite that bad, but I predict that I think their overall net rating for the season is like seven or eight. I predict that they will have a below 2.0 net rating with Markeith Morris on the court uh, from now or, or, or basically for uh, the rest of the season or, or until we look at this, you know, the last week of the season or whatever it is. Both my trend that will continue and my trend that will not involve the New Orleans Pelicans. I've been thinking about them a lot. So oh, damn it. I, I had the Pels too for my aberration one. Let's let's hear them. Um, so my trend that will continue is New Orleans drawing fouls. They were bottom five in the league in free throw attempt rate before Zion came on. Now they're top 10. I think they will continue there as long as, as long as Zion is available to play because he is an absolute force and it makes a lot of other things things possible and then my trend that is an aberration during the window that we during the the so from january 1st to i did it to the beginning of march new orleans was 29th in turnovers and since zion debuted on january 22nd they are dead last in the league in turnovers and while some of those will happen just like them throwing these crazy lobs to zion and everything else i think they'll clean it up a lot they have too many that i i think they'll I, I just think they'll be better what was your aberration so new orleans is currently 11 and 24 in clutch games that are within five points in the last five minutes i predict that they will have a and this is after they lost to dallas in yet another clutch game last night i predict that they will have a positive record in clutch games the rest of the season interesting um part of that is because of their easy schedule that's that's a, that's a good call. I mean, generally, if you're if you're predicted to win games and you're playing against worse teams, you'll hopefully be better than them in the clutch as well. Um, 
and a bonus is that Zion's defensive rating is like in the 103s right now. That's going to come way up. Uh, but that, that's just a bonus prediction. Yeah, we'll see how much he plays with favors. All right, this is fun, man. I always, I'm glad we actually finished the whole thing at once. We give you a nice long one here going into the weekend. Don't forget, uh, next time we can talk to you is actually for the NBA cast, 3.30 Eastern, 12.30 Pacific. Lakers, Clippers, big one uh, for the NBA cast. Join us uh, for a fun second screen there. Sync up, watch the game with us if you haven't done it yet. Critics are raving uh, about it. It's a little bit of a barrier to entry. We realize that, but uh, hopefully you think it's worth it, especially for these big games that, that you're hopefully going to be watching anyway. And uh, don't forget about Danny's Real GM Radio with Seth. Uh, I'm looking forward to listening to that on the way to the game today. And we'll talk to you all on Sunday night. We got the 15 and 60 mailbag edition for the Western Conference coming then.